And so let's read here. Verse 1, it says, Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. And they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Paran. Stop right there. Sorry, I can't, I can't resist making this point, though. I do think it's important. I was at a funeral recently, earlier this year, and I wasn't doing the funeral, but the person doing the funeral uh, commanded no one to mourn. That's not usually a good thing, right? I mean, here you see a great example, right? Very godly man in Samuel, and, and the nation mourns for him. Right? Mourning's a natural thing. It's not a negative thing. Uh, there's an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations. We're, we're meant to cry out in our pain to God, right? And so Samuel passes, uh, and the story plows on, uh, as it always does, right? It says, a certain man, there in verse 2, in Maon, who had property there at Carmel, was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats. It's a lot of goat curry, Trev. <laughs> and 3,000 sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surely and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite, meaning he was like, he was doggish, right? Not, not a positive term, unless you love your dog, but not, not in that sense, right? Verse 4 it says, while David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel, greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you. Good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs, of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore be favorable toward my men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you could find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants. Who is this David? Who is the son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered from my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, each of you, strap, strap on, <coughs> sorry, it's not COVID, I promise. Strap on your sword. So they did, and David strapped his on as well. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us. And the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us the whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sails of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs and loaded them on donkeys. And she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there was David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. David had just said, it's been useless all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. 
He fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives, and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed, and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who intend on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift, which your servant has brought to my Lord, be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles and, because you, and, and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he has promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord's success, remember your servant. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has kept me from harming you, if he had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been, alive, would have been left alive by Dapon. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. When Abigail went to Nabal, she was, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk, so she told him nothing at all until daybreak. Then the morning when Nabal was so sober, his wife told him all these things, and his heart failed him, and he became like stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord, who has upheld my case against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. Then David sent word to Abigail, asking her to become his wife. The servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to you to take you to become his wife. She bowed down with her face to the ground and said, I am your servant and am ready to serve you and wash the feet of my Lord's servants. Abigail quickly got on a donkey and attended by her five female servants, went with David's messengers and became his wife. David had also married a Hanon of Jezreel, and they both were his wives. But Saul had given his daughter Michal, David's wife, to Patiel, son of Lahish, who was from Galim. It's a great passage there, and as you can see, one that focuses pretty heavily on this tremendous woman. Let's have a prayer, and then we'll dig into some of the points about her character. Amen? Uh, Father, we, uh, you know, we do thank you for Abigail. God, we know for, for all of us, God, that, that she is a challenging example of of a woman that takes initiative and it uses her mind to thwart a potential disaster. God, we pray, God, that we can be inspired today, God, that we can look at her example and how she diffuses, obviously, an incredibly dangerous situation, God, and brings about peace. Father, we know that, that you do charge us, God, as your sons and daughters to be peacemakers, God. And we pray, God, you can help us to learn from her, God, and from the tremendous example that she has shown us in this story. Be with us, God. God, help us to, to not operate under the assumption that we are like her rather than like Nabal. 
Help us to not make the assumption, God, that we are not foolish, God, but help us to be uh, like your servant, Abigail. To be people that bring about peace and harmony in relationships. Again, Father, we thank you for the grace and the mercy you pour out on us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It's a, great, it's a great story. It's a great text. Um, and, and as you can see, there, there are many things about her that are, you know, tremendously, uh, you know, worthy of imitation, you know. And, and you see very clearly as you read the story uh, that she is a woman that takes initiative. She is a woman that acts, right? Four times in, in the Hebrew, you get a variance of the word hurry used in regard to her. She's quick to move, right? Verse 18, verse 19, verse 23, verse 42. She, she's a woman of action. Right? A woman who steps out. I mean, you think about this scenario and you think about, you know, especially the male servants, the panic they would have felt as that scene began to unfold. I mean, they knew because, you know, he was going to wipe out all the male, males in her household, right? They were in danger. And who did they turn to? It was Abigail. Uh, you ever seen those memes online where it's like someone's robbing you and the person, you know, you got to call someone that you know is not going to pick up? Right? I had a friend, Josh, who would always tag me in that kind of stuff on Facebook because I don't pick up my phone sometimes, right? And apparently all the time, according to Josh, right? But you think about that, that, that idea of, man, a moment of pan panic that our servants have. Lives hanging in the balance. Who do you turn to? And they, they knew exactly who to go to. Her reputation was that of a doer, of someone who acts, right? Uh, you know, and that, again, it's a remarkable thing just on face value, her, how, how, she, how she does respond, right? But then you consider two things, right? You consider, one, you know, first, that, that she was married to a guy that was tremendously wealthy, right? I mean, all the goat curry you could possibly eat, right? Trevor is still thinking about that, right? It's just not anymore because you, you became a vegetarian. You can still make goat curry for the rest of us, though, right? And that'd be awesome, right? And that'd be good for your heart to give in that way, right? But you, I, mean, I mean, this guy is incredibly wealthy, right? I mean, thousands of sheep, thousands of goats. Uh, most people think, you know, I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's some discussions in the commentaries whether he's mentioned as a Calebite, meaning kind of the negative form of that word of he's a dogish man. Uh, or, again, I, I kind of think it may, maybe that way, but the, the, other, the other way to interpret the mentioning that he is from the tribe of Caleb is this idea that he is a prominent man. Right? But he's a prominent man in that area, right, of Hebron, right, there in the heart of, of Israel. Uh, and so he's incredibly wealthy. Abigail is, is, is his wife, is part of that, that household. Um, her life was cushy. They had a lot of servants. They were living a good life. I mean, he was, you know, literally the party he throws for himself is like that of a king, right? Now, now, wealth, a lot of times, and comfort that comes with that, doesn't often produce character of a doer. Sometimes it produces tremendous laziness, the exact opposite. But yet we find that even though she is part of a household of tremendous wealth, she still is a woman who gets stuff done. Right? And the second thing is the reality of culturally. Right? For her to be a woman in, in that period, in that part of the world, you wouldn't think that would be a character trait attributed to her. And yet it is. Right? All the more reason for us to stop and, and, and think about her uh, in, in a tremendous example that she has. And you think about this. 
You think about her character and then you think about yourself. If the people around you are in need, are you someone that is worth turning to? Are you someone that is reliable? Are you someone that would actually do something? Or are you someone that's, you know, perhaps just going to stand there and do nothing? She sees a need and she meets that need. A lot of people write a lot of books thinking about Jesus' disciples, right? The first followers of Christ. And they, they debate, why does he choose the people he chooses? Because right? you read about them. I mean, they're not like super spectacular people, right? John MacArthur, I think, even writes a book called 12 Ordinary Men, right? There's nothing really spectacular about them. But a lot of writers camp on the idea that all of them do seem to be people who are men of action. People that are willing to step out and do something. And that's emphasized, right, in the Gospels and, you know, how they're each called, right? They're out fishing. Jesus says, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. They act. They drop everything and they follow him. He goes to Matthew, a tax collector, sitting there, exchanging money. Come follow me. He gets up and he follows. Now, there's something very critical about that character trait for you to be able to be used by God. But are you a man or woman of initiative? Again, even a secular world values this. There's a famous article, I've never read it before today, but apparently it's famous from the Harvard Business Review called who, who, Who's Got the Monkey? Is it actually famous? As I was reading, I thought, this is an article that's declaring itself famous that maybe no one else declares it famous, right? But in the article, nonetheless, they talk about the five levels of initiative, right? The first level being that of someone who waits to be told what to do. Level two is that of someone who asks what to do. Level three is that of making a recommendation, then getting approval, and then taking the recommendation into action. The fourth is that of taking action, but advising others at once, and the fifth level being that of acting on your own, then routinely reporting to others. Right? And obviously in the business world, a lot of employers are looking for employees that operate on level four and five. If you're an employee that simply sits around waiting to be told what to do, you'll probably be an employee that is then told to leave. Right? That's kind of good business advice, and especially if you're looking for a job, Ben, right? Ben takes initiative, right? You know, but you, you think about that, right? You know, do you, are, in life, though, are you someone who just kind of sits around in church waiting to be told what to do? A lot of times that is how we operate. Willing to do something, but if no one tells us to do it, we won't do it. And I think even tragically, a lot of times we, we see a need and we just sit back and wait for someone else to do it. Wait for someone else to meet that need. You know, in any healthy community, in any healthy team, or any healthy family, a vast majority of the time, we should all be functioning at levels four and five. Right? Where you act and you communicate the action. Where you step out and meet a need and you involve others in that process as well. But, but is that how we function? We are were, we were meant to be the organic body of Christ. We are meant to be God's tools to bring about the salvation of the people around us. Passivity is not going to get that done. A passive approach to needs is not going to advance the gospel as it is meant to advance. And we see in Abigail here this tremendous willingness to step out. One of my favorite quotes by Winston Churchill is this one. It says, I never worry about action, but only inaction. 
I never worry about action, but only inaction. You think about Abigail's story, if she chose the path of inaction. That plays out very differently for her family. Very different outcome for her household. And a lot of times when we're faced with a situation, we weigh cost and benefits. But a lot of times as we weigh cost and benefits of action, we only, we only do that. We don't think rather about, what, what if I don't? <laughs> what if I don't? You know, Byron and I were studying the Bible this week with a young man uh, from Curtin University. And, you know, he's at that decision point. He's been studying the Bible for, for a month or two. Uh, and he sees and he understands uh, the implications of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and what that means for his life. But he's also an intelligent young man. And you can see the wheels turning in his head as he's faced with this concept of repentance. That he has to die to living for himself and begin to live for Christ. And you can see the, 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 the costs of that decision begin to weigh on him. And his body language begins to drop. You know, when Byron rightly points out, you're thinking about what you're going to lose if you become a Christian. You're not thinking about what, what the cost is if you don't. You're looking purely at from an action standpoint. What about inaction? You're worried about losing a few friends and becoming a little bit less popular? Man, there are serious eternal consequences. Coming face to face with knowing who Jesus is and turning your back on. I encourage you to think next time you're faced with a situation that requires action. A friend that's hurting, that's struggling in their faith. A non-Christian that, man, needs to hear the gospel. Some kind of need that needs to be met. And you begin to, to think about, man, the cost of action. Stop for a second and think also about the cost of inaction. Stop and think about, man, what are the implications of that? Because all too often, man, cowardice gets in the way. Fear. Other times it's anxiety. You know, anxiety is simply living out in the future, living out the future before it even gets here. You know, and then in a, in a great book about this topic, Kevin DeYoung, the book's titled Just Do Something. He says, if we had done something, almost anything really, faithfully and humbly for God's glory for all that time, we could have made quite an impact. But if we do nothing, because we are always trying to figure out the perfect something. When it comes time to show what we did for the Lord, we will not have anything to show. All right? It's a, very, it's a very short book. It's a good book to read, that idea. Just do something. Just do something. I mean, Abigail steps out and does something. That doesn't seem like she thought it through. I mean, obviously, she did a fair bit of baking, right? <laughs> Hundreds of cakes, you know? I mean, but man, she, she stepped out. And we need to learn to do the same. Secondly, as she does that, she does, she gives, she gives a speech that's 153 Hebrew words long. Longest speech by a woman in the entire Old Testament. Right? And, and as, you, as we walk through this speech here, right, step by step, and look at kind of 10 aspects of, of how she masterfully diffuses this situation. I reckon if we could take home five, if you could take home five, 
you would probably manage to prevent a fight with your spouse, your girlfriend, your roommate, your coworker, right? She brings 10 to the table, right? 10 to the table. Her, her servants come to her there in the, in the text and tell her, hey, think it over, see what you can do. Because they know she's going to act, but she's also going to use her brain as she acts, right? And so let's look here. You know, first and foremost, we see the power of posture. The power of posture. You know, there in verse 24, as she approaches David, she doesn't say a word when she begins. She gets off the donkey, and she gets down on the ground. And specifically, the text tells us that she gets down on the ground at his feet. Which culturally, what she is saying is, is a plea for mercy. That's how she, that's how she approaches this. Now keep in mind, and we're gonna, I'm going to mention this a lot because it is an important aspect. That's her posture, and she is completely innocent. She doesn't have 50% of the conflict here. She doesn't have 50% of the problem like it is with, with, with every one of our marriages. There's 0% responsibility. And yet her posture is one of that of seeking mercy. Right? Tremendous. Right? Secondly, as you read her words, as they're said from that posture, they are soft words, right? But strong arguments. Soft words. We'll talk about it. She asks for forgiveness. She calls herself a servant. She calls him Lord. Right? She pleads with him. She reasons with him. Her, her language is soft, but her arguments are strong. They're compelling. They're, they're, they're chock full of, of, of scriptural references. References from David's own life. Right? Now, now, tragically, a lot of us take this soft words, strong arguments, and we invert it. We have very weak arguments, and we use very strong words. We use strong language. We use strong tone. We use high volume. But, but, our, but that's just compensation for the fact that we probably even know that our argument is weak as can be. She does the opposite. Right? She understands that Proverbs 15.1 is true. A soft answer turns away wrath. Next time you're in an argument, try to take the approach of soft words, strong argument. It works tremendously better. Thirdly, what do we see from her? She's honest even when it hurts. Honest even when it hurts. You know, and this is a challenging thing. I mean, you think about, she does. She throws Nabal under the bus, okay? She, she you know, takes the, the Hebrew play on, on his, his name and, and calls him a fool, okay? Now, don't do that. Okay? <laughs> It's not spouses, that's not permission to go, you know, publicly Facebook rant about your, your husband and the fact that he's a moron, okay? But there is something to what she's doing here. She's, she's facing reality. Sentimentality is, is a powerful force that has the ability to make us extremely biased in our opinions. She privately sees very clearly where her husband is at spiritually 
And as she comes to David, she's not justifying him. She is not minimizing what he's done. She's not doing any of that. She's honest publicly of where he is at. I mean, think about how that potentially would have played out differently if she comes and she's rationalizing Nabal's babe. If she's trying to justify her foolish husband. If she's calling something good when it's actually evil. I'm not sure David stops if that's her approach. I think the hundreds of men just keep marching right by. But she sees very clearly what everyone else sees and she acknowledges it. So often, we allow sentimentality to elevate our perspective above truth. We can't, we can't do that. Abigail doesn't do that. She sees it for what it really is and calls it what it really is. Her husband's a fool. As she begins to reason with David, down there in verse 26, she says, after he calls Nabal, right? After she calls Nabal a fool and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. You think about how she words that. She sees in this encounter on this mountain God's providence. Now that's okay, that, I mean, okay, that's, that's pretty good that she can see that. But you think about the fact that she's a woman of, that takes tremendous initiative. It'd be very easy to, to begin to see that she has brought herself to the right place at the right time to save the day. But she doesn't operate that way. She lives her life understanding that, man, you know what, God is sovereign over all things. And that, yes, she's doing the right thing in terms of taking initiative, but, man, it, it is God's providence at work. It's God bringing them together to avert great harm being done to, to, to her household. It is the Lord acting, not her. Right? That's challenging. Right? Fifthly, what do we see is she points to David to let the judge judge. Right? She tells him there, verse 26, The Lord has kept you from, from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands. May your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. Right? Further down there, verse 29, The lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. That's very interesting word choice. Very interesting word choice, especially consider her husband says, Who is this David? I don't know who this guy is. Right. She seems to know the stories about David. She seems to know the story of David and Goliath. Right? And she's trying to help David remember back. Remember back. Let God judge David. Don't take this matter into your own hands, right? Again, this is a remarkable thing because as, as John O preached last week, right? Saul comes into the cave to, to take care of some business, and David could have killed him, but he didn't. The next chapter, David's again going to have opportunity to take Saul's life, and he's not going to. But this fool sandwiched in the middle, David wants to kill him. Right? And for David, you know, Saul was very, you know, it was easy in some sense for David to see that. 
because of who Saul was and, and the prominence he had in Israel. But, but, but Nabal, man, a little bit harder. But again, she, she helps him to see that no matter in what situation, you've got to let the judge be the judge. It's not our place. Right? As we saw earlier there, <laughs> as a sixth thing, I mean, she's incredibly generous. Incredibly generous. And her husband was about to throw a big party, amen, so there were supplies there. But she brings a lot. And she knows they're hungry guys. Hundreds of cakes. Several animals. Right? She, she is generous in the gifts she brings. Right? It's not a bribe. It's an expression of her gratitude. She knows that her household has benefited from David and his men. She knows that the ingratitude of Nabal was the thing that has inflamed this situation. So again, not even her fault, she demonstrates repentance and comes full of gratitude. Number seven, she seeks forgiveness. She seeks forgiveness. She's not even done anything wrong, and she is coming with a spirit of seeking forgiveness from the other party. How often do we get in conflict and it's 90% our fault and we won't seek forgiveness, we seek fault finding. Right? That's what we do, but that's not how she operates. And again, it's all about approach. It's all about posture. She comes with humility and God uses her. She comes with a spirit of, let, let, let me be forgiven. And she diffuses this entire situation. Number eight, we see a faithfulness in her. All right, a faithfulness in her. You know, after she seeks David, David's forgiveness then there, she says, the Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battle and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. You know, she sees with certainty the promises that God has made to David. She's very much like Jonathan. Jonathan comes to David in a dark moment as he's there in, in, in Adalam, and, and he helps him find strength in God. She comes to, to David here, and she is full of faith that God will accomplish his promises. Right? Faithful that God will accomplish his will. Ninth, her eyes are open. She already sees David as king, even though he isn't king. All right? She knows all about David and Goliath. She knows about the promises that have been made. And there, there in, the, in the middle of that verse, there in verse 30, right? it says there, when the, Lord has fulfilled, when the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him, and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed. Right? And then further down, right, it says there, that the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living God by the Lord your God. The life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. Francis Schaeffer, a very, very famous historian, uh, you know, this is one of his favorite verses in the Bible. When you think about that image. That's how she sees David's life. 
kept securely by God. Protected by God. Bound in the land of living by God. That he is precious to him. And he will care for him and he will look after him. She has her eyes open to God's hand at work in David's life. Intent, you think about everything she lays out there and to who she lays it out to. And to the scenario in which she says all these things. She's courageous. She's courageous. She's saving the life of a man who didn't deserve saving. She's putting herself at risk in a scenario where in reality she wasn't actually at risk. And that took courage. And sometimes we too narrowly define courage, you know, as we see in these stories of David versus Goliath. Right? Or Jonathan and his armor bearer versus the Philistines. A vast majority of the opportunities we have to be courageous involve opening our mouths. Speaking the truth in love. Helping turn someone away from a path of sin onto the narrow road. That's courage. And she has it. And she speaks these truths before hundreds of men coming to destroy her household. And I encourage you, the next time you're in that moment where you know something needs to be said, where you know truth needs to be proclaimed, right? you've got to imitate Abigail. Choose the path of courage and, and open your mouth. In all these things, she uses her intelligence and her spirit of initiative to diffuse the situation. I encourage you as you leave here today, man, think about this incredible woman. Think about what she accomplishes. It's a happily ever after story in many ways, right? And the judge does judge. He does deal with Nabal. And the judge will judge. He will deal with Saul. But man, David needed someone to speak intelligently into his life. He needed someone to not be a passive spectator but to step in and step up. And man, our world is the same. There are people around you in your workplace and in your own family and your neighborhood that, that need you to imitate her, to take initiative and to show some intelligence. Now we can be a lot more intelligent than we actually are in and of ourselves because we have the scriptures. And David tells us in the Psalms that, that knowing God's word, man, makes us wiser than everyone else. It's not like you've got to come up with grand solutions on your own. Simply, if you quote scripture, you're going to bring truth to someone's life. And potentially do as she did, which is avert great calamity coming on someone else. Amen? Let's have a prayer and then we'll sing together one final song. Father, we, uh, we thank you for Abigail. We thank you for her just tremendous example, God. Father, we know that that's so often when we're faced with high-pressure situations like that, God, we can become uh, flustered and frozen. And God, we thank you. We thank you for her example, God, taking the, the, the mind that you gave her, God, and using it to bring about peace. Father, we pray you help us, God. Help us to be men and women that take action, God not just be passive participants in this world, God, but to, 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 to take your gospel message, to take the truth of your word to those who need desperately to hear it, God. 
God, we pray you help us, God, help us to, to, to show great craftiness and, and, and wisdom and intelligence as she does, God. To think on various levels, God, as we approach people and do whatever we can do to, to, to say, say truth in a way that brings about a positive outcome, God. Father, we do know that, that as we do that, as we step out in faith, God, that ultimately you are God who is in control of all things. That your sovereignty and your providence and your faithfulness will guide us each step of the way, God. Again, help us, God. Help us in this endeavor, Father. Be with us and give us opportunities to grow. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Let's all stand together and sing.